So please do turn to 2 Timothy, and we'll be in chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we'll read that in just a moment. As you're turning there, though, I do want to ask a question of all of us. And the question is this, do you, do you want to make a lasting difference? Do you want to make a positive impact on, on the world around you? Do you want to have a significant role in the lives of your children, the lives of your spouse, your neighbors, your friends, coworkers? Do you want to have uh, an impacting, lasting role so that it would propel them upward, heavenward, both in their thinking and and, in their living? I ask that question pretty much knowing the answer for for most of us, and the answer is yes. I think most of us do want to make an absolute lasting difference in the lives of the people around us. Most of us don't want to just drift through life and through mediocrity and through obscurity. We want to make a difference, and and that's that's important. Someone who's wanting to make a, a lasting difference, they're not concerned primarily with making money. They're not primarily concerned with putting themselves out there and being the queen of social media or the king of social media. Uh, those aren't the things that matter. Um, those who want to make a lasting difference are those that are willing to suffer through hardships because they see um, the outcome that is to come for those that give themselves to this high aim of making a difference in people's life. Now, also those that want to make a lasting difference, the, the, the good thing about that mindset is that they really don't care so much about what they care about. Because their motivation in life isn't so much about their own motivation. Their motivation is more driven by what the Lord desires, what the Lord wants. And the one who wants to make a lasting difference is really the one who, who knows that the Lord is the one who designed them and built them and empowers them and, and really commands them to live this type of life, a life that would make a lasting difference in the lives of people and in the world in which they live in. The thing about this, though, that making a lasting difference or really anything that matters a lot in life doesn't just happen on its own. It doesn't just naturally happen. It is, however, the result of possessing the right qualities that are essential, the right qualities that are essential to having a determination, a determination in life to get through the tough stuff that are inevitable for all of us. It's this determination, this doggedness uh, that is essential to making a lasting impact. And now as we look at 2 Timothy, as we, we come to chapter 3, and especially these, these four verses that we're covering today, what we see is we see Paul giving Timothy a, a picture, a picture of, and a vision of life and ministry that if he continues in, will make a lasting impact, and will make an eternal difference in the people that he is to live and to love the rest of his, his days. And so as we look at these uh, today, we're going to just point out three, three observations in this passage about what it would look like to make a lasting impact. And, and if you're taking notes, you'll see this. The first one is um, to make a lasting impact, acquire a godly mentor. If you want to make a lasting impact in life, yours and others, acquire a, a godly mentor. As often as mentioned from the pulpit here, I'll say this relatively often, I tried to try to remind us of this, the, the top three keys to understanding a biblical text, to biblical exegesis, the top three keys to doing that is context, context, and context. 
We always want to look at the context of a passage. We always want to look at the, the meaning of a verse that we're reading in light of the, the section of Scripture it's in, in light of the paragraph, in light of the chapter, in light of the book, and then in light of the entire Bible. Because when you pull things out of context, you can make the Bible say whatever you want to say. I was walking through just this morning. Um, Teacher Mary Shabo had laid out her classroom. I think it was Teacher Mary. I saw her here earlier this week working in the classroom. And it was a, it was a, a sheet of paper with books. And fill in, you color, what you, color between the lines on this piece of paper. And it says, don't change God's word. That's our preschoolers that are learning that. Filling, they probably can't even read that. But they're filling that in at an early age, and that's something that gets reinforced. Unfortunately, God's Word gets changed a lot because people take things out of context. We don't want to do that this morning, so in order to get the context of our passage, I want to back up, and I want to cover what we covered two weeks ago, which is verses 1 through 9. So you can follow along as, as I read this. It says this in verses 1 through 9. But understand this, Paul speaking to Timothy, that in the last days there will be come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, they'll be lovers of money, they'll be proud, they'll be arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janes and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they won't get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was it as as was that of those two men. Okay, those, that, that's the context, the, the, um, the pretty horrific recounting of, and what's interesting, we read that list and it sounds like, well, those are people that are outside the church, but what Paul was saying is a lot of times these characteristics were coming in through false teachers inside the walls of a church. And so he's just laid out this description of these vile, destructive, poisonous people, the negatives, we'll say, Um, And then we go into our passage in verse 10, and it says this. This is where we're focused today. You, however, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and my sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. We'll stop, we'll stop there. So back to the point here, acquiring a, a, godly, a godly mentor. Um, in light of the context of these false teachers, Paul then says, you, Timothy, however, maybe your translation says, but, Timothy, you, You, however, have followed my. It's as if he's saying, Timothy, in the last days there's going to be all kinds of brutal leaders, heretics, that come in seeking to inject their poisonous ways in the church. But not you, Timothy. You're not this way. Because you have followed my example. You have followed my example. Paul really to Timothy was was, um, a mentor. He was a lot of things, but he was a mentor to him. 
And, and we can see from this, and we see from many other places of Scripture, how beneficial it is for every one of us, any one of us who takes our walk with Christ truly seriously, to have a Paul-type figure in our lives. So why is it so powerful? It's powerful because it's really the pattern in which God has set up for the church. Um, discipleship. Go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Sometimes that's done as part of the discipleship process in a context of this, a Sunday morning service. But all throughout Scripture, we see this pattern of, of people coming together in a more intimate way, in a more one-on-one -on -one kind of setting, and giving instruction to one another. And there's really nothing sweeter than having someone in your life that acts as a Paul to you, someone that, that invests in you because they choose to do so. Because a mentor, like Paul was to Timothy, they will encourage you, they will inspire you, they push you, they pull you, they motivate you. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a really sweet thing and pattern that we see within, within the relationship that Paul has to Timothy, but this isn't just for Paul and Timothy. As we've said all through these pastoral epistles, these principles that we see and this pattern that we see laid out between Paul and between Timothy, it's for all of us to take. Because really this is a letter written to Timothy, but Timothy was pastoring the church in Ephesus. And the church in Ephesus needed um, a lot of help a lot of things. We saw here Timothy earlier in the book as well. It wasn't just Paul that was a mentor to Timothy. We saw that Timothy's mother mentored him as a young child. And Timothy's grandmother mentored probably his mother, but also Timothy as well. Other places in Scripture, Titus 2 is probably one of the best passages on what it looks like to mentor. It talks about older men mentoring younger men on how to be men. And it, it goes in, and later it says, these older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and to live pure, to, to work in their homes, to do good and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. We see this pattern, this pattern of, of, of mentorship all throughout Scripture. And, and to make a lasting impact, Paul is saying to Timothy and, and to us, and we need to understand that having godly input into our life and a, an intimate mentor type of relationship is important. So where do you find mentors? You know, if you're just sitting there thinking, okay, well, that's not me. Where do you find them? And really, it has more to do with just opening your eyes to the idea and, and the principle as well as the command to have someone in your life that will speak into you. Just open your eyes. Look for people that are, as we covered already in this series, that are positives. Look at people that, that are encouraging and can point you in the right direction. Oftentimes, just the best place is just to look right where you're at. My, one of, and I've had many different mentors in different seasons of my life, but one of my mentors that I meet with now came into my life about five years ago. Uh, I actually, when I was, I was running the, the fabrication shop in the gorge, I hired his son, and he came by the shop to visit his son, and I knew he was a pastor. Um, I actually had a, a history with him many years ago, but not in a personal way. And um, as he started to come in and meet with his son, I found ways to kind of cultivate a relationship with him, because at the time, I was trying to discern what God was calling me and my family to if he was calling me back into a ministry role. And um, all of you were praying for me, or many of you were praying for your next pastor. And I needed someone that had been there and could kind of give me an outside perspective. And uh, so I kind of just had an opportunity to work my way into his life. And now he and I still meet every single, oh, well, twice a month. And we go over things. And we've now brought in a new young pastor who was in my youth group, who's now a senior pastor. 
at a church in Camas, and so the three of us meet in these mentorship types of roles. But it really just kind of came down to keeping my eyes open, and you have to do that for, for, in order for someone to, to play this role in your life. Um, age is not super important in this process. There are some mentors that are, that are younger than us that maybe could provide a great deal of input as well. But I'm guessing that God has placed some people within your world, they might even be sitting near you now, that could provide a type of mentorship role in your life. So how do you actually do it? How do you actually go through and acquire this? Um, I think it works best if one who wants to be mentored would seek that out from someone that could mentor them. It's uh, not typically a good idea for an older person to go to a younger person and say, can I mentor you? I think you need a mentor. Can I be your mentor? Um, That normally doesn't work now if you have more tact than that and you really feel God putting you in that place, then maybe go at it gently. But but I think the pattern that we see, especially for those of us, to, to seek out that kind of relationship. And so some specific things I just point out here um, as it relates to how you would kind of go through discovering a mentor. You know, first off, I, I would just say, make sure I'm in, I'm in order here. Um, huh. <laughs> this, this is the wrong slide. <laughs> you guys, that's the right slide. The first one's the right slide. Everything else is wrong. <laughs> I am sorry. I, I thought I hit save as. I am so sorry. <laughs> All right. Technology. I'm sorry, Diane and technical people back there. Uh, yeah, it's, no, it's my fault, I'm sure. So anyway, let me be a little more specific. <laughs> you guys are gracious. Uh, I didn't hear what you said. That's probably good. <laughs> okay. Whew. Oh, man. Oh. Just coffee. All right. Uh, well, yeah. No, I got my notes here. I'm just, I'll just kind of continue on. Let's just do that. So the first fill in the blank in your notes, you got that, right? It says acquire a godly mentor. Um, Next, you'll see there, okay, so, so what are some practical ways that you can do this? Um, first one is be teachable, uh, to be teachable. Have a teachable spirit. I guess this is mo- almost more a prerequisite. I can say this as I pray for our directory. This is what I pray for all of you, is I pray that you would have a, a soft heart and a teachable spirit. I, had, I got kind of thrust into a mentoring situation with a younger man, uh, someone I knew, knew this, knew this guy, and he was going through a really rough time, and so they asked for us to meet, and so we started to meet, and um, it turns out, you know, he had just gone through some really tough stuff, but he had drifted from the Lord. He knew the Lord and um, early in his life, um, but he, as he got kind of busy with life, he drifted and church was no longer important to him. So one of the first things that we, we talked about was he, he'd go back to his, you know, local church. And so he went back to the church and there was a new pastor there. And, and as he went to this church, he, he came back the next time he met and he was just super excited. He's like, boy, I just... This message that was preached was such a powerful message, and, and it really touched my heart in these ways and this way, and, and um, so I thought, oh, that's, that is awesome. So I went, the technology, I went online, I listened to the message that he was talking about, and I'm like, eh, it's okay. I mean, 
It's okay. It's an okay message. It was true the text, but you know, there's better out there, right? So anyway, point is, about three weeks later, four weeks later, five weeks later, it was some time, um, he, we, we were meeting, and you could see that the fire kind of left him, and he wasn't really interested anymore, and, and, um, and I asked him, well, how's it going at church? And he's like, oh, you know, because I, I think I'm just going to look for a new church. The, the pastor's message just really isn't, you know, it's just not hitting me. I don't know what's going on, but it's just not hitting me. And so, and he pointed to a specific one, so I went and listened to the, the next one. And it was an awesome message. It was like a really good message. Um, I thought way better than the first one that impacted them. And so you kind of think, well, like, what's the difference there? Well, the difference is, and this is what I challenged him with, it was his own heart towards the Lord, his own heart towards the Word of God, his own heart towards just being teachable, asking the Holy Spirit. You see, he was, he was hungry when he was going through a hard time, but now that the hard time wasn't quite as intense and acute and painful as it was when he first started, he started to kind of pull himself up by his own bootstraps, and he lost that hunger for the Word, and, and this teachability in his own, his own life had kind of dissipated. And I just find that that's, even in my own life, but also in a lot of people's lives. They kind of, you know, they, they, they become teachable when they feel like they really need to be teachable when things are tough, but they struggle to maintain a tender heart towards to growing and learning in their, in their relationship with the Lord and their, their um, walk also with other people. So being teachable, I think, is a really important aspect to that. Hey, thank you. You guys are awesome. Um, you redeemed my mistake. I appreciate that. Um, secondly here, just to be prayerful. Be prayerful. Um, ask God to give you godly people. Put these godly mentors in your life. Um, this should probably be one of the things that goes to the top of the list, asking God to put someone, a put a Paul-type person in front of you. And then second, lastly, just be intentional. Most, most of the best things in life, they don't just happen, like we said earlier. They don't just happen. Um, you just have to look around and be in, intentional. Who is it that seems wise? Who is it that seems positive and compassionate? Who seems to have greater joy who do you respect? Who do you admire? Who seems to be interested in your life? Who do you share some similar experiences with? There's a young woman who walks around church and has a card in her Bible. And as she has this card in her Bible and she watches how a mom interacts with a daughter um, or a son or a child in a tender way, she just writes that person's name down. And then when she sees a couple that is, is seeming to, to communicate well, she writes their names down and and um, when she sees different things and different people, she'll write those names down. And then she finds ways to approach them and, and um, turn into a type of mentorship relationship. And so, so with all that being said, having a teachable and prayerful and intentionality to finding a mentor, the next thing you really have to do to make is you actually have to make it happen. This is the step that doesn't take place. Um, I can almost guarantee that most all of us would say it would be really nice to have a Paul figure in my life like Timothy had had, um, but how many of us will take the step of actually seeking that out and actually asking someone to do that? And the thing is, you don't have to, um, you don't have to go up to someone, and I've done this and it doesn't normally work. You don't go up to someone and say, I'd like you to mentor me. That will tend to scare them um, away. Or another way I've said it, would you disciple me? People tend to just feel like, you know what, um, I'm, I'm too, um, that's not me. I don't have the gift sets. You need to go talk to somebody more spiritual than me, which is a sad response to that request. But it would be more appropriate, I think, just to say, would, can we go grab coffee? You identify one of these folks 
And you say, can we go have coffee or can we go to lunch or can we go on a walk and, and be intentional? But you actually have to do that. You actually have to walk across the room. You actually have to make that attempt happen and um, see where that would go. Sometimes it will take three or four of those interactions before you might find the right fit. Um, but the good thing about it is sometimes mentors are long-term. Sometimes it's only two or three meetings or visits with someone. And you, I was talking with a man in our congregation who, who needed um, godly business advice. And so he sought a mentor. And this mentor came into his life at the right time. And he began to meet. And they, they worked together. And now they live far apart. But they still stay in contact with one another because of that mentorship relationship. And I also see in the same man um, that sought the original sought the original mentorship, and now I see him applying it to others, which leads to, leads to the second point. To have a lasting impact, yes, acquire a mentor, but, but next is to, to, be, to be a mentor, a godly mentor specifically. This is what Paul was. This is what Paul was to Timothy. He was a godly mentor. If you are looking at and thinking about being a godly mentor, you can pretty much look to verse 10. And it gives you just like a perfect job description of what that looks like. Uh, And it says this, You, however, have followed my teaching, Timothy. You followed my conduct. You followed my aim in life. You followed my faith and my patience. You followed my love and you followed my steadfastness. And I just want to say when I'm putting this sermon together, it, it concerns me that when we get to this point in time, many of us would just check out at this point in time and say, well, I'm not qualified. You know, I'm a, I'm a blue collar guy. I, I'd like, you know, I like to, to work with my hands, right? I mean, this is just, this, this is, let's leave that to the more spiritual folks. Um, the sad thing about that is, is that we don't get that option. We don't get to just opt out of investing into people's lives. If you're a part of, of this body of believers, you have a part in someone else's life. You have something to offer someone else here. Um, God is most likely putting you there, and you know, especially, especially if you're your parents, you have, you have your kids and your, your spouses, that's most, in, that's most, that's top, top tier. But the rest of us, this applies too. There's no age or, or whatnot that we get to opt out of investing into one another's lives, and so we get this great, we get this great opportunity. We get this great opportunity, and so there's, there's some components here. Um, none of us will nail these components as well as Paul did, because Paul was Paul. He, he, was, uh, he was a gifted apostle, um, and um, we're not trying to measure ourselves up to Paul, but this is a pattern. And what did Paul do? What was his pattern? First one, it says there, it, it talked about teaching. Not every one of us is a teacher in the sense of standing up and preaching from the pulpit. Not every one of us is a Dr. Bob who, who can exposit the word and, and lay it out like he does on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. in our expositor's Bible class. But don't be fooled that you're not a teacher. You are a teacher. If you are talking, you are a teacher. If you are living life, you are in essence a teacher. You're either talking truth or you're talking untruth. You're either teaching treasure or you're teaching trash by the way in which you communicate and how you communicate. You might not have the title of teacher, but we all are teachers. I watched as I went through town this week, I was waiting for someone, and I saw, and I so, I so, this guy, I so uh, identified with him, but with this particular case, he was trying to get a weed eater started. He couldn't get his weed eater started. He didn't know I was watching, and um, he's pulling this weed eater, and he's getting more and more frustrated, but he's getting more and more tired, 
and um, he's a very, he doesn't attend our church here, but um, I know him from other avenues. He's, he's in the construction field. He's very capable with equipment, and he's pulling, and he's trying to get this thing going, trying to get this thing going. He can't get it going, and again, doesn't know that I'm watching. He picks the thing up, throws it down on the ground, and it's not a cheap Home Depot Ryobi. It's like a steel. It's a nice weed eater, and then he kicks it across, I mean, like across the driveway, and um, I mean, I, I truly feel his pain, but come on, that's pathetic. You don't do that, right? Um, now, with this, and the reason I bring it up is because he's going through all of this. He doesn't know I'm watching, and, um, and, but he also either doesn't know or he doesn't care that his two kids are standing, just watching, just taking the whole thing in, just watching dad melt down over the weed eater. Guess what? They're not just watching, they're absorbing. They're learning something from that. And, and I'm not picking on this guy, I've been that guy, believe me. I think we all have been that guy where, where, where we don't realize that we're in a teaching situation. Um, but we all are teachers. We all are teachers in one sense or another. So you don't get to opt out of this anyway. But when you think about Paul, what did Paul do? Paul was, Paul was always pointing people. He was always directing the conversation in some way back to the Lord. That's what he did really well. Any of us can do that. Any of us can direct the conversation back to the Lord. We don't have to preach a sermon, but we can direct the, the conversation back to the Lord. That word teach, it simply means to instruct people in the ways of doctrine. That's what that word specifically means. Um, now, if you were to jump to verse 16, which we'll cover next week, I'll read it here. It says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. Same thing. We point people to the Word of God, which means we have to have some acquaintance with it, which hopefully we do have some acquaintance with it. Paul always was pointing people to Jesus because Paul preached Jesus and Jesus crucified. That's what he called people to. He called people to repent, to turn from their sin and let that change be evident in their life. So a godly mentor is one who teaches, but really that just means they point people to Christ. They point people to Christ. They don't have to say a sermon, and I, I guarantee you that we all have the ability to do this. We all can point people to Christ. Next word there is conduct. So you have teaching, but then you have conduct. When, when Timothy looked upon Paul's conduct, he was looking upon his life, and it was consistent with his teaching. That's what that means. It's just simply that his life was consistent with his teaching. He wasn't one who lived differently than what he preached. He was the same on church days as he was when he was trying to start his steel chains or his steel weed whacker. You know, he was the same, same guy. There was no hypocriticalness to him. And if, if, this, if, if your conduct does not match your words, then you can still be a mentor, uh, you just can't be a godly mentor, and, and we're going for the godly component to that mentor. Next word there is purpose. My translation has aim in life, aim in life. A godly mentor knows and understands that life, he knows and understands what really matters most in life. He pretty much, he's so focused on the bigger picture. He's like got this drone perspective where he can look down and, and, and almost see a bigger picture. He might not be able to see all the details underneath the trees, but he knows that God's got this. He, he sees a bigger picture. He's got an aim and he's got a focus and, and he, he's got a calm um, in life. He doesn't get so wound up by the, the, the drama. 
of things. He doesn't get, or she doesn't get so, so consumed by the, the things that consume so many of us because they understand that the Lord is sovereign and the Lord has a purpose and that they have a part in that purpose, even though they don't have the whole roadmap laid out in front of them, they've got enough on the GPS to get them to the next stage. And I really appreciate the mentors in my life like this. Uh, who, when I get stressed out with certain things and I'm anxious about certain things um, and I catch myself um, emotionally acting like the guy was acting with his, with his uh, weed whacker and I'm, I'm frustrated about something and I'll go to these mentors in my life and um, they almost don't even have to say anything before I feel the conviction of, of oh yes, um, I've stepped outside of walking in the spirit and I'm anxious about this. I'm um, not um, looking at this from a, a, a gospel perspective, a fruit of the spirit perspective. And I'm so thankful for mentors that, that are rooted like that. They're like a Psalms 1 kind of person in my life. I'm so tempted to name names, but I won't name names for those people. Next word uh, here, as far as teaching and conduct and purpose, is faith. Or better put, would be faithfulness. Because Paul's not talking here about a saving faith. Not the, it's not talking about this type of faith that saves a person from, from hell. He's talking about the type of faithfulness and trustworthiness for those who are already followers of Christ, who are already saved. The idea here is that faithfully living the truth that is professed. And I'm not going to say any more on this because we did an entire sermon just on the topic of faithfulness back six weeks ago to open up 2 Timothy because the first 12 verses of 2 Timothy chapter 1 dealt with what it looks like to remain faithful. So you can go there if you want to look at what it means to be faithful. The next two, I'm going I'm to actually jump out of order here. I'm going to go to the word love. The word love, um, obviously this is imperative for a mentor um, to have a, a love for, for others and especially for you because love goes without saying. It's, it's crucial. It's crucial not only to be a mentor, but it's crucial to be a follower of, of Jesus. It's imperative because love is the evidence of salvation. Love is the evidence of our relationship with Christ. 1 John 4.8 says, The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So love goes without saying. This is a genuine, a genuine love, an agape love, a love that isn't a feeling, but it's a sacrifice. It's a, it's a choice. Now, those last two words, um, patience and steadfastness. Patience and steadfastness. I'm going to talk about these as two separate words because they are technically. But in, in the rest of Scripture, sometimes the original language swaps these two words um, inter interchangeably, both patience and steadfastness. But I want to kind of get to the, the meaning of what it means as far as being a, a godly mentor. To be patient. Paul, Paul talk, he's talking here about um, being long-suffering and persevering. Um, this is someone who has a really strong resolve Things don't sidetrack them. They've got a, a resolute and persistent spirit as they serve Christ and as they love other people, um, regardless of what the cost might be. This type of patience that he's talking about here is a type of patience that is mostly grouped together with difficult people. To be a godly mentor, to be growing in your walk with Christ, you learn to be patient amidst difficult people. And I have a, a one or two difficult people in my life, and I'm guessing that you do too. Not in this room, 
or in the overflow room, or maybe I should just pick on the overflow room. Yeah, they're in the overflow room. Um, no, uh, but, but we have difficult people in our lives. But to, to walk in, in faithful, faithful, godly mentor relationships, it requires this kind of, a, of patience to deal with difficulties as it relates to people. Now, the other word that he ends with here in verse 10 is steadfastness. And uh, this steadfastness is a little bit different. It's not focused primarily on dealing with difficult people, but it's focused on standing up and being resolute and resolved and persistent in our circumstances. Difficult people in one sense, difficult circumstance in in the other, difficult situations, and learning to be steadfast in those difficult situations, Um, which leads to our third point, which is what verses 11 and following cover, and that's this. Um, to have a lasting impact, expect, your notes don't have this, ex- endure, expect and endure persecution. Expect and endure persecution. Another way to look at this is like this. To have a lasting impact, you have to last the impact. If you want to have a lasting impact in others' lives, you have to last the impact. Just a little play on words that is helpful to remember. But what's the impact? In this context, the impact is persecution and suffering. That's, that's the impact. That's what's coming. And Paul says it like this. He says, you, however, you, however, have followed, I'm going to read back at verse 10. You followed my teaching and my conduct and my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord he rescued me. From them all the Lord he rescued me. The word persecution is an interesting word. It's an interesting word in the original language. Diagmos is the way. It comes from the word diako. And with this word diako, the literal meaning of it is to put to flight. To put to flight. You think, well, how does that have to do with our understanding of persecution? Well, think about Paul. When you think about someone who understands persecution, pretty much Paul could write the book because he's seen both sides of the coin. Remember who he was before he knew Christ, right? Who was he? Yeah, he was a persecutor of Christians, which meant that he very literally put Christians to flight. He used whatever means necessary to get Christians to flee their faith, to to take flight from the things in which they professed verbally. That was what his focus was. So he he would persecute the church. He would put Christians to flight. And now, now that Paul is on the opposite end of that spectrum, and he's now a follower of Christ, he is the one that is enduring other opposition that is trying to get him to flee his faith, trying to get Timothy to flee their faith, trying to get the churches to flee their faith. That's what they're going after. That's what he's shooting for. And, and sadly, this is something that, that oftentimes is effective. And this is what we saw in the church in Ephesus. These false teachers were coming in and they were, in essence, persecuting the Christians inside the church, causing them to question their own faith. That's a persecution of sorts. Um, a very simple truth is mentioned very clearly in verse 12. Let's read it. It says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. See the connection here. To last, to last and have a lasting impact, you have to last in your faith. And if you're to last in your faith, you need to realize that 
you've signed up for suffering. You have signed up for persecutions and difficulties. It's just the, it's just the way things are. And, and sadly, there's, there's many who, who will never see, um, never see true persecution because they drop out as soon as things get a little bit tough. Um, and in our, in our culture today, here in our comfortable, very comfortable culture, we don't deal with persecution um, like our brothers and sisters around the world are dealing with, even today. Um, it's not happening. Um, our persecution comes differently. Um, the greatest persecution I think that we're seeing, or one of the greatest persecutions that we're seeing, is just the horrific nature of what takes place with unborn children and abortion. Horrific persecution. Um, the culture that we live in that promotes that and even celebrates that, sadly. Um, but another, another type is coming. I read an article this week, and the article was uh, legislation that's being put forth in down, believe it or not, this might shock you, down in California and San Francisco, um, that is saying that churches can no longer, um, without penalty of huge fines and jail time, can sp- speak against certain social issues as it relates to gender, as it relates to sexuality, and any speech that would be considered, well, we can't call sin, sin in church um, without facing the threat. Now they're saying that's probably not going to come, probably not going to pass the legislature, um, even down in San Francisco. But it's coming. Now those things are coming. Um, And what we need to remember with that is what we, we closed with in our last sermon, which is Yes, those persecutions come, but anyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus is going to face those things. And more importantly than the persecutions that come is the lasting impact that we have for the cause of Christ and the kingdom of God down the road. That is what's mattered. And I've learned from, from Jennifer Withy, who has taken up the cause in the public school system of trying to, to um, come against some of the, the sex education Um, curriculum that is being pushed upon our public school systems she's made a good connection with and she was sharing it in our last membership class with the the um, russian community down is that right is the russian community who is really when they have these meetings the russians will show up in droves and i'm probably going to get this quote wrong you can quote me if i'm right but but basically um when jennifer asks why is it that you get such a large turnout and correct me if i'm wrong jennifer but you said that it's because we know what it's like to live under tyranny. Is that right? So they, they in their culture, know what it's like to be oppressed in ways that we in our culture don't know what it's to be oppressed, and they see this oppression coming um, from these ways. And so they, they, it causes them to, to stand up and to, to fight against these things. But the goal here is, and as we kind of close this, as we talk about persecution, we're going to talk about it a little bit more next week, um, but it's not to put us in a place of um, drawing lines in the sand and, and, and putting, um, putting the, the culture around us um, in, a, in, a, in a bad pile. Um, it's, not, it's not the point here. Um, first off, our, our, we're not to judge the world. We know what the world's position is on things. People who don't know Jesus, they should have these kind of agendas because they are not driven by the gospel of Christ. Um, what we need to do is guard for f- the fidelity of the truth inside the walls of our churches 
We are to, no one likes to hear this, we are to judge one another with a loving kind of judgment as we seek to be faithful to the the calling that we have as a church body to love with the gospel those that are near to us but far from Christ. That's what we are about. And I want to say that I don't think we can get there. We we can't get there unless we take the the words of, of Paul to Timothy and Paul to the church in Ephesus seriously and invest in one another's lives. Invest in one another's lives. Reality is you have been given gifts by God through the Holy Spirit and you have value to the people around you. Every single one of you do. And um, you can provide to one another what I can't provide to, to you. Um, you need to be involved. We all need to be involved in one another's lives. And so it would be my strong charge that we take this seriously, that we all would have, if you, maybe some of you already have this, and actually I know some of you do, have these types of people in your life, that's good. If you don't, acquire a godly member, a me- mentor. And on the other side of that, who are you being a mentor for in your life? 